Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Hello, I'm your host today, Ed Clementi, and we're fortunate to have as a guest, Dawn Hines. She's the CEO of Hines Industries. Welcome to the show, Dawn. Hello, Ed. Thanks very much for having me. And I'd also like to thank the Michigan Economic Development Corporation uh, for their support of this. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and it's funny. Um, I'll be honest that uh, this came from your own staff for you to be on the show today and they recommended you, and then when obviously reading your bio and what your company does, you were an easy ask to be on the show. So thanks to your staff, too, for highlighting you to us. We oh, thanks that. very much. That means I have an excellent marketing person, Chelsea Gibbons. Yeah, yeah. No, we appreciate it. And so, you know, the one thing I think that's the most important is, can you tell people sort of what, if they don't know anything about Heinz Industries, because you have kind of a really unique sort of manufacturing process there. Can you tell people what you do? Yes, Heinz Industries is probably one of those um, small, mid-sized businesses um, that are not well known because we're very much of a niche provider. We uh, we manufacture uh, highly engineered, highly customized, and highly automated test machinery. So we're testing and improving the quality of many components used in the automotive industry and the aerospace and defense industries, as well as a number of other industrial sectors. Um, So our our machinery is, is testing quality control equipment. And I would imagine with defense, you have to go through a lot of hoops too, right? For security and all those kind of things too. We do. There's a lot of security. We have to be quite confidential about a lot of our customers. And um, we usually sign NDAs before we even start serious discussions about purchase of equipment. Yeah, I would imagine you couldn't even bid until you probably had background checks, I guess, on some of these things. Yeah, uh, yeah we've interviewed quite a few people actually up in Macomb that have had the same, you know, same kind of manufacturing. So it's, it's, we're glad you're here in the state. And it's a, it's a dimension, obviously, that doesn't get a lot of publicity, but it's obviously Michigan is a state that still makes a lot of things. And you guys are very involved in that. And uh, I know you touched on it a little bit, but um you know, your background is sort of pretty interesting to me. You grew up in Ann Arbor, right? Yep. I grew up in Ann Arbor, left when I was 17 um, with no plans to return. So uh, after I finished school on the East Coast, I headed over to Europe where I spent about 15 years. I started in Paris and then I was in Geneva for a short time in Frankfurt and then spent a number of years in Amsterdam before coming back to Michigan. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I know you're sort of, you know, you don't want to spend too much time on that maybe, but I think it's fascinating, at least one of your jobs, because first of all, you went to Wharton school, obviously one of the best universities in the country. Uh, and you, did you get uh, both an undergrad and a grad, uh, grad degree from there? Is that right? I did. Undergrad was economics and mathematics and my graduate degree was an MBA. Wow. And so, um, but then you did a, a unique turn and you worked for Reuters in Germany, right? Yeah, in Switzerland and Germany. 
Yeah, I was. Oh, Switzerland there. too. Okay, okay. Yeah, Geneva was their um, their European headquarters, not including the UK. So continental Europe, Middle East, and Africa. That was their headquarters. So I started there, and then I was transferred to Frankfurt, or as part of that team. I was working more on the business information side of the business, so I was very interested in um, financial information and how that was being collected and transferred and um, and and used in an electronic way and in a mobile way. And actually, I was working with a new business development group on mobile products for financial information. So it was, it was interesting. Yeah, and I would imagine. I forgot you said you speak at least three languages. Five, English, <laughs> almost, almost perfectly English. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I don't, but uh, yeah. So what else? Fr- uh, German and uh, French, I would imagine Spanish, French and Dutch. Dutch Spanish. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, and one other, you know, maybe you might want to talk about this a little bit further back, but I know you're still active. With Adventura, the what you do with Africa, right? Aventura is um, a, a company that I started uh, before joining Heinz, and I've continued it on a on a part time basis. We're and and actually Heinz has also been involved in contributing to it um, uh, to one of our ventures. We provide machinery services to smallholder farmers and also other agricultural services. To mango farmers, uh, we export fresh and dried mango. We provide um, plowing and harvesting services to rice farmers. This is what I would call an impact initiative, an impact company, where we're trying to um, assist, enable smallholder farmers in West Africa to improve their yields and thereby include their annual in- increase their annual incomes from agriculture. Yeah, how did you? Decided to get into that. Did you just? One of my, uh, it was by chance, one of my Wharton classmates had gone down to work for an international organization. I went down on vacation to visit, became intrigued with the economy and maybe the lack of companies in business and realized after doing some fundraising there for entrepreneurs that there was huge potential um, to have an impact economically and socially um, with relatively small investments in the agricultural and service area. And I I guess I've become passionate about the potential to create an impact in the lives of many people who just by the chance of, you know, by the chance of of life were born into circumstances um, with less means than most of us here in Michigan have. Yeah, yeah, you know, geography plays such a big role in everyone's upbringing, and uh, a lot of times you have no control over those things. Right. Uh, yeah, and and why don't you mention too a little bit how you migrated back to the company and how it kind of started, even if you want a little bit with your father. My father founded the company uh, back in 1979, and ran it. Um, and up until shortly before he passed away about 10 years ago, I came over to help out um, after that and um, have been working here since then for now over, over 10 years. So I've um, jumped in. Um, I, I knew balancing because that's what we heard about around the dinner table when I was growing up. 
Um, and I had um, done some work international sales for short periods. Um, but I've really enjoyed the challenge of um, bringing the company into, you know, the, the last bringing the country company through the last decade, growing it, um, building our our strengths in automation, and actually we've we've now entered into Industry 4.0 and are providing a lot of remote um, intelligence and support to our customers. Um, using internet of things and data analysis and it's been a, it's been a very exciting road and it's nice to be back in Michigan. You're listening to the Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org/podcast. Can you break down a little bit at least in your definition of for you, what is industry 4.0? And I also think it's always nice to have somebody else to explain their view of like the internet of things, if you don't mind. Right. So um, for us, industry 4.0 really is looking at the data that our machines are collecting or have the potential to collect and how this data can be used both to help support our customers um, in their maintenance needs but also to help them in improving the quality and collecting more information about the, the quality of their parts, the quality of their suppliers. There's huge power in data collected in large, collected in large amounts and, and uh, being analyzed. We are now developing a method of not only doing preventative maintenance with our customers, but collecting data and analyzing it in order to do what we call predictive maintenance, which is being able to tell our customer, this is, this is the amount of time we think will pass until you need to replace some components. Um, we see that you're going to need some maintenance on the machine within the next three months. You need to, you need to replace some of these components or, or a drill bit. Um, there's wear on that. Uh, we see a difference in quality of some parts coming through that you're putting through the machine. This is, uh, I think, especially in light of the, what, what people are calling the great resignation, the need for predictive and preventative maintenance and remote support to factories is becoming more and more important. And um, for us, analyzing baseline data and then predictive and preventative data can help us to serve our customers and help them potentially to save hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars from downtime of their machinery in automated lines. And I'm talking about, you know, the automotive industry, which is very automated today. Well, you know, I would even go a step further. It also would provide some sort of um, best way to practice for budgeting too, because if you can anticipate you know, cash flow of we think this machine is going to need X parts because of the algorithm showing this thing's going to wear down soon. You know, it's kind of like the accounting practice too, right? You can show out how that'll help them out financially even before a part is down, right? Right. They can they can use it for budgeting service purposes, but um, I think that there's there's huge value in avoiding any um, any machine shutdowns or line shutdowns. 
and and I'm talking about our machinery, but I'm talking also about factory systems in general. Um, all of these large plants have ventilation fans. They have conveyors. If any of these break down, they can shut down a line and in some cases um, oblige the company legally to shut down the shut down the that area of the plant. You know, if there's a ventilation ventilation fan in the area of the paint, um, legally, if the fan shuts down, they have to shut down. Wow. Yeah, that would be nice to be anticipate that problem. And is that sort of blend into the Internet of Things of how you're collecting the data? Are they sort of like overlapping with each other? Yes, we're we're uh, using sensors to uh, to analyze different um, different operations going on in the machine. We can we can sense temperature changes. We can sense vibration changes. Uh, we're looking at the quality of the part when it arrives in our machine and then the outgoing quality. So how has the quality been improved? Um, what were the ways in which the quality was improved? So all of this data that is collected is then available to us to analyze for the customer or available for us to configure in a way that the customer can use it within their data broker and we're this is this is what's called the the, the internet we call it industry 4.0 it's uh, gathering and usage of data to increase the efficiency and productivity in an industrial environment and it's in real time a lot of times if it's the internet of things right it's yes you find out pretty quick like there's yeah. going to be an issue yeah in many cases, our our programmers and technicians here are remotely troubleshooting and helping customers with programs on machines that are running on their plant floors. And we're able to react to customers within a few minutes rather than scheduling a visit um, and a flight potentially to reach the customer. So customers love this um, this ability we have now to remotely serve and help them with their troubleshooting. Yeah. And, and, uh, the one question this sort of blends into is, is there other trends, you know, you identify for your industry and beyond what you've already mentioned. And secondly, like you're located in Ann Arbor. Is it help for talent for you to people that work for you? Or is it, is it other value to be, you know, location wise? It's very valuable to us to be in Michigan. We're, we're very close to uh, a lot of our automotive customers. Um, many of our aerospace and defense customers are also within a five or six hour drive from us. Um, we have customers in other sectors that we serve, such as agriculture and construction. John Deere comes to mind uh, in Illinois. We have a lot of customers across the border in Ontario, Magna, Linamar, um, we also serve the U.S. locations of many Fortune 500 equivalent uh, international companies, such as Weir, GKN, uh, ZF. So being here lets us be close to our customers' operations in the in the Great Lakes and Midwest area. And Michigan has a large pool of manufacturing and engineering 
expertise that we can draw from to recruit employees. It's very strong. Yeah, that's that's wonderful to hear. And I know that, um, you know, as you go through this process, obviously you're getting more and more. So that is like sort of your, like you just kind of gave a laundry list of potentially who your clients are without having to get too specific, except on the, some of the international ones, but, mm-hmm. but that's wonderful uh, what you're doing there. So we're down to the last couple of questions, even I told you we'd go by fast, <laughs> but um, this one is simply, I, I mean, one of this two, I'm sorry, I'm gonna give you another question, even that, you also talked about the MEDC, but you've had some interactions with the MEDC historically too, or with Michigan as well, right? Yes, we have. Um, Michigan has Michigan Works uh, worker training um, is something that we've <laughs> had access to. We've also participated in Manufacturing Day and had students both from the um, college level and high school level and and the general public coming through our plant. Um, We've also found that Michigan has some excellent sector-specific grant programs for small and mid-sized companies that have really been invaluable to us. Now that you kind of touched that a little bit, so I know we talked about this before, but you have had a very unique career path compared to most people. So any advice you, because you really, I I mean, I'm sort of semi-jealous of your path, but uh, (laughs) any advice you would give yourself back in high school before you kind of got on this track? Um, I guess one of the things I would say to high school students is, you you know, you're going to be making a lot of decisions in the next four or five, six years. You'll start on one career. Um, you most likely within 10 years will be in a different career, have a different career path. So the world is your oyster. Believe in yourself because one of the very few impediments that anyone has is, um, is doubting themselves. So work hard, believe the world is your oyster, go after what you're, go after your passion and don't be too worried about short-term setbacks or decisions that you make. You'll make many decisions in your life and you don't need to look at them as having been a mistake or not a mistake because yes, decisions set the direction of your life, but your life is very open-ended and will continue to be for many, many years. Yeah, that's even more true, I think, than when I graduated from high school. We didn't have the internet, so uh, it, it's, it, there's a lot more options for you today. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing I would say to them is, look at this indust- Internet of Things and Industry 4.0. Think about uh, high-tech manufacturing because automation is going to be huge. It will have probably as big of an impact, I've heard from some forecasters, as the internet did. It's going to change all of our lives and already has. So take a look at that. So your last question, because you've lived all around the world, what do you like still about living in Michigan? You said you were glad to be back. I love the open spaces of Michigan and the easy access to nature and outdoors. Um, We enjoy skiing up north. We've been to the Sleeping Bear Dunes, Lake Michigan. One of the things I love about Michigan is you're never more than about 10 miles from a body of water. And it's it's a lot of fun to to be outdoors here. Yeah, no, no, no. Couldn't agree more. Well, anyway, thanks, Dawn, uh, for doing the show today first. 
Thank you for having me. Yeah. And once again, our guest was Dawn Hines. She's the CEO of Hines Industries. And uh, thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule and keep up the good work there. And we're glad you're here in the state. It was a pleasure. And thanks very much, Ed. And thanks, MEDC. Join us next week. Our guest is going to be Diana Paez. She's the Senior Director of Energy and Mobility at the William Davidson Institute, housed at the University of Michigan. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.